Hello, I want to welcome you to the Point Church Alberta Campus Sunday Preaching Podcast. My name is Josh Heisler and I'm the Alberta Campus Pastor. We strongly believe in the expositional preaching of God's Word, which works to build our faith and grow us up in Christ. Our prayer is that this message will be a help to you on your journey of faith. Now join us as we get to the point. Today, just a disclaimer, it may feel like I'm preaching just to Pastor Josh because of the passage that we're in. Over the past several weeks, we've started a series called Building a Healthy Church. We're working verse by verse through the book of 1 Timothy. And can I just say, when we started talking about preaching through this book, I was sitting in the office with Pastor Tim and Pastor Josh, and I was going, man, can we not just pick an easier book to preach through? Because this is talking about the church. This is talking about the way that we function, about church polity. And there are some uncomfortable passages that we get into. And this morning, I was listening to Pastor Josh's sermon from last week on the role of men and women, and I thought he did an incredible job of expositing the Word of God. And one of the qualifications that we're going to be looking at today is that the pastor is able to teach and is able to rightly handle the Word of God. So, so far through uh, 1 Timothy, we have seen a charge that the Apostle Paul gave to Timothy, who is the pastor of the a group of churches in Ephesus. He is overseeing them, and he is warning them to protect the church from false doctrine. He is warning them from thinking that they are better than the other people around them because of any bloodlines that they may have or any ties that they may have into Judaism. And instead, he is saying salvation is open to everyone who will put their faith and their trust in the Lord Jesus. Over the last couple of weeks in chapter two, we saw the role of prayer and how we don't just pray for physical needs, but we pray for spiritual needs and for God to lead us to draw nearer to him for the sake of the gospel. And of course, last week we looked at the roles of men and women. The role of an overseer or a pastor is very important because this person's actions have ramifications. They impact you. The person who is leading your church impacts you. Over the course of my life, I have seen many leaders and personal mentors fall from ministry because of actions that they've taken, and it didn't start in one place. It grew over time until their life was totally out of control. And in the midst of those failures, I had to work through my own faith, knowing that I didn't believe in that person, but that I believed in Jesus Christ. And it's important that we all understand that it is not the role of your pastor. It is not Josh's role to be Jesus in your life. That is something that is outside of the confines of the qualifications of Scripture for a pastor. But there are several qualifications we're going to be looking at today. So if you have your Bibles, I hope that you do. We're going to be looking at 1 Timothy chapter 3 in the first seven verses. It'll be up on the screen, and I'll be reading this, uh, this passage to you. This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he be able to care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace 
into a snare of the devil. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the scripture. Lord, we believe that it is fresh bread for our souls today. And God, I thank you that we don't have to sit around and pretend that we know what a church should be or what the role of its leaders should be, that you have given that to us in the text today. So God, I pray that today you would comfort where we need to be comforted, Lord. You would convict us where we should be convicted. But God, I pray that our time together would build up your church and that we would be able to look at Jesus Christ as the author and perfecter of our faith. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Over the course of my life, I've seen a lot of different kinds of pastors. I've seen a lot of different kinds of ministries. Throughout the years, uh, and when I was a child, upward basketball became a thing. And there were pastors who threw themselves into reaching the community through little basketball leagues. I've seen pastors who, man, their, their, their thing is to sit and preach for an hour and never look up at you. I've seen pastors who connect with people, who love people, but... What I can say about those guys is that they were called by God to a specific context to serve the church. And I thank God for that. I thank God that pastors are not cookie cutter people. Everyone is different and gifted in different ways to serve the church. I'm thankful for that. I believe that that's one of the ways that God sends his gospel to the ends of the earth is through pastors. So the first thing that I want you to see in the text today is that a pastor must have a calling. A pastor must have a calling. Just like there are different kinds of pastors, there are different kinds of callings. Over the past couple of weeks, I've been sitting down with Pastor Nathan, and we've been working through his calling. He is a young leader in the church, and it is our goal as a church to see him mature in the faith and the way that he ministers here at the Point Church. But what we have understand, what Nathan and I have been talking about, is a calling is something that you can't shake off. A calling something that you can't get past, okay? 15 years ago, I was called into ministry. I've been serving in the church for about 10 years, and anytime I have a conversation at home or I call up a friend and it's been a really tough day, and they say, hey, you know you could hang all this up and go do something else and probably make a lot more money, I'm going, what in the world? Why would I do that? I can't shake the calling that I have on my life. And if we are putting people into leadership roles that don't have callings, we're going to see a lot more people give up because it gets hard. Sometimes people will call me over time, over the past 10 years or so, I've had students come to me and say, Pastor John, I feel like I'm called into ministry, and the first thing that I try to do is talk them out of it. And you may be going, what in the world? We need to get as many guys into the pulpit as we can. And I agree with you. But if the calling is not there, we are setting ourselves up for failure and we're adding to potential damage in the church. The pastor must be called by God to the role of being a pastor. Verse number one, this saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. The apostle Paul saying this is a good thing. He, he uses this phrase four times in the New Testament. This saying is trustworthy. And what comes behind that phrase is something that is important and is an essential to the church. If someone aspires to be an overseer or a pastor, don't get hung up on that word. That word uh, is in the Greek is episkopos. This is the word that episcopal comes from. It's similar to, it, and, uh, to presbyter, where we get uh, Presbyterians or shepherd or pastor. Don't get hung up on that word. But if someone aspires to that, it is a good thing. To want to serve the church is a good thing. But to serve the church and to serve our Lord, we don't serve ourselves. 
It is a very difficult role to be shepherding the people of God. Robert Yarborough, who's a New Testament professor, said, this calling is not a selfish ambition to a high position, but an enlistment and a calling from God that requires a great weight on skill and is often thankless. Over the years, I've had a lot of conversations with pastors who have gotten into a situation where they feel like they're alone and they're isolated, even though they're leading a group of people. There are so many times that I get phone calls from people who say, look, I just need to tell you what's been going on this week. And they start listing off the things that are going on in their people's lives. Whenever something is going on in your life and it's weighing on you, it's weighing on the heart of your pastor. Because we look to Jesus, who is the good shepherd, and what we understand about a good shepherd is that he would put himself into danger in order to protect his sheep, that he spent time among them. And your pastor hurts when you hurt. And oftentimes that's thankless. Oftentimes we don't see in the moment the need that your pastor is meeting. But we should not, uh, we should not be striving to be in a position, in a high position. Because in the book of James, it tells us that those who are in the office of a pastor are judged even more harshly. So why would someone desire to be a pastor? The only way that they could is if God has a calling on their life. If we look at the scripture and we understand what goes into that, and I don't want to paint a bleak picture of what it looks like to be a pastor. This is one of the most, what we're doing at Perdido Key this afternoon, seeing people get baptized makes everything worth it. Seeing people go from death to life in Christ makes everything worth it, makes all of the long days, makes all of the difficult things that happen worth it. It's incredible for us to see people come to faith in Jesus, for people to connect Scripture with what's going on in their life for the sake of the gospel to go and reach the community. That is an incredible thing. It's incredible for me to look at this campus to see the way that you are ministering to teenagers at Alberta High School. It's incredible for me to see how you are reaching families, and that is an encouraging thing. It's not just encouraging for you to see somebody in person, but for even you to hear about things that are going on in other places. Do you know there's a revival that's going on up in Tennessee right now at a place called Long Hollow? There's a group of of people who have seen thousands of people baptized since the pandemic started. And there was a very basic thing. They moved their, their community groups from meeting inside in houses to meeting in driveways, and they just started sharing the gospel with people. But can I tell you, when a work of God happens, there's challenging things that happen too, because that pastor lost one of his best friends this week who was on his staff with him, who wrote the book about what they were doing up there. He passed away just a couple of days ago. With every victory, there always comes challenge. With every victory comes challenge, and a pastor must have a calling to stay grounded. So we're about to look at a list of qualifications for a pastor And it is very important that we understand that these qualifications have much more to do with the character of the man who is serving as an overseer or pastor than it does his gifting. Because too often when the church promotes someone who is gifted and who has poor character, there is a wake of damage behind his leadership. And that's a very dangerous place to be. Oswald Sanders said, Christian leadership is a blending of natural abilities and spiritual qualities a blending of natural abilities and spiritual qualities. And if we remove spiritual qualities from someone's gifting, we are not pointing people towards Jesus Christ. We're pointing them to be made in the image of ourselves. 
and we should be very careful that we're not going in that direction, but we're always pointing people towards Jesus Christ. You know, in the world today, there's a lot of people who are going through some that they're calling deconstructing their faith, okay? Going back and asking questions of things that they've been taught as they have gotten older. I've been through that process myself before, but it pointed me to shake off maybe some poor teachings that I've heard through the years so that I could see Jesus instead of a person. I've had to work through some of those things. Now, some people, when they go through this process, they can't come to the point of taking themselves off of the throne of their life and see that God should be in charge of them, and they end up walking away from the church. But too often when I talk to people, it's because they can't shake a poor teaching that a leader in the church had or they've been so deeply hurt or wounded by a moral failure in the life of a leader in the church. And can I just say that these qualities that we're going to be looking at this morning are very, very important for that reason. So the second thing I want you to see in the text, we're going to spend quite a bit of time talking about this today, is that a pastor should have integrity. A pastor must have integrity. So we're going to be working through verses 2 two through 5, works very slowly because there are 17 different qualifications of a pastor in these, and I think each of them demands a little bit of our time today. Don't worry, we're going to be moving a little bit quicker. But these are not different qualifications, but they are markers of a single character of the person who will be in this role. Verses two and three. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. So the first characteristic here is that a pastor should be above reproach. This does not in any way, shape, or form mean that he is perfect. Nowhere do we see that he's perfect. But what we're seeing is that he is above reproach, meaning if your pastor is out in town and somebody asks you who is leading your church and you say his name, he's not going, whoa, I know some things about that guy. I'm not going there. And I'm not talking about some kind of former life that was before you've been changed by Jesus, but about the current character of who that leader is. The, this is an overarching uh, qualification for what follows behind, that he should not be living in a continual pattern of sin, but instead he's being consistently transformed by the renewing of his mind, and he is seeking the Lord. Paul is not calling for pastors to be sinless but he's calling for them to continually seek after Jesus. This call is a difficult call. And there's a reason that these qualifications deal with character because these are difficult to live out. I want you to think about just a concept as we're working through this. Have you ever been to a pool and you looked up and there was a big long list of rules and you were going, why in the world would they say, don't do this or that around here? It's probably because somebody broke that rule before, okay? So as Paul is writing this list of qualifications and he's sending it to Timothy, remember Timothy's overseeing a network of small house church uh, type gatherings, there's probably some men that have fallen short of these qualifications. And he's saying, hey, we need to keep this in mind. You should be above reproach. And then he continues and he says that he should be the husband of one wife. In other words, he should be a one woman man. Could you imagine being in a church where the pastor was living in open infidelity? How could you ever talk about sin from the pulpit? How could you ever call someone into repentance 
whenever we view marriage as a picture of what Jesus has done for the church. I don't know if we really wrap our mind around that, but husbands, we should be loving our wives as Christ loved the church, which means there are times where we have to sacrifice. There are times where we have to serve our families. Now, some look at this text and they say that this means that someone who has been divorced is not able to serve in ministry, but I would cautiously say this morning that that is incorrect. Because there are people that I know that are in the pulpit who meet these qualifications, who have lost their wives to an accident or to an illness before, and technically that would be a divorce of that marriage from, from the way that this was dealt with. There are other times where someone may have been saved after that. There are many different ways that someone would be able to be qualified to be in the pulpit today, but this is talking about their collective character We need to be careful that we're not eisegeting or reading into things that are not in the text this morning. This is talking about a person who's living with high character in life, not just while they're in church on Sunday behind a pulpit with a Bible open, but they're living that same way at home as they are in the church. This also does not mean that someone who is not married cannot serve as a pastor or an overseer. The Apostle Paul was not married. He was overseeing this church. He wrote this letter. He is not disqualifying himself whenever he says that. But again, this is a calling to a high character. Then we see that the pastor should be sober-minded. And often in our culture, when we hear the word sober, we think that that means apart from any kind of chemical substance. And in the language that is here, that's a different qualification that's coming up later. But right here, it means that being sober-minded is being serious and sensible, responding in the correct temperament whenever issues come up. And can I just tell you that that is very difficult to do? It is very difficult to understand the circumstances that are going on in somebody else's life whenever they bring something to you. It's difficult to understand where somebody's coming from if you don't have a context That is one of the reasons that we're supposed to live above reproach. But we have to have a correct temperament. We may not always do that. Pastor, I've had an incorrect temperament before, but we should strive to have a right temperament whenever we deal with our people. He should be marked by self-control. You're starting to see the picture. This is dealing with character. To be self-controlled means to not be controlled by an element of the world, but instead we are understanding that we need to have character when we're away from people. I had a baseball coach a long time ago who once told me that character is who you are when nobody else is around. And I think that's a very simple definition of what character is, but in the office of a pastor, there's a lot of time where you're working by yourself where you are seeking the Lord, where you are praying. And unless you are self-controlled, your mind is going to wander. And there's a lot of men behind the pulpit today who are lazy and who do not do the work of getting into the Scripture and praying and humbling themselves before a holy God. This is where self-control comes in, where we understand who we are and who Jesus is and the weight of the calling that is to serve the church the weight of this calling. We need to be spending time in the scripture. We believe that expositional preaching of God's word points us to what God has said, and you can't preach that way unless you spend time in scripture. There's a lot of people who get up on Sunday mornings and share a lot of their opinions, and I'm very thankful that at the Point Church, we believe that the word of God is what God has said, 
and that we dig into what he has said. The key responsibility of the pastor is to proclaim the word of God and to oversee the doctrinal integrity of the church, as we saw in 1 Timothy chapter 1. But there's a slight shift here from what a pastor should be to what a pastor should not be. He should not be a drunkard. There are many reasons that a pastor should not be controlled by the urge for alcohol. You could go down so many different social areas. You can get into people struggling with that in their own personal lives. But at our church, we believe that our pastors refrain and abstain from alcohol to protect us from those vices. Okay, We could get in and spend a lot of time talking about that today, but we have a firm stance as a church that our pastors abstain from alcohol. He should be not violent, but gentle. Could you imagine a leader who made very quick and crass judgments of people? He should be gentle. When we deal with sin and we're coming to seek spiritual counsel from a pastor, I would hope that I would be received in a gentle way and corrected, right? And that is how we see this play out here. When we think of a pastor or a good shepherd, we think of someone who lays down their life for the flock to bring them back into the fold and to be protected. And that can only happen through gentleness. A pastor should not be quarrelsome, should not be looking for a fight. Look, I need y'all to hear me. I like seeing somebody get excited and throw down with somebody just like everybody else does, okay? But we don't need to be out looking for a fight, looking for an argument. If I open up the Twitter app on my phone almost every day, I'm embarrassed of leaders in our denomination who are getting up and calling each other out over things that don't matter. They don't. And it hurts our witness for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the pastor should not be out looking for a fight and an argument. Instead, we should be gentle in the way that we speak to one another. We should treat one another with grace because I don't know about you, but I would want to be treated with grace. He should not be a lover of money. should not be a lover of money. There are a lot of people who are peddlers of the gospel, who get out and who preach a prosperity gospel of give money to me and God will bless you, and we don't see that in the Scripture at all. We don't. There's another element of not being a lover of money, meaning that money does not control us, Okay. I could get a job offer tomorrow from a church and it'd be totally outside of God's will even though that monetary offer was high. Are you with me? We're not seeking after just monetary advances. We're seeking to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Son of God is called the suffering servant. Jesus is called the suffering servant. When he came into the world, he did not have a place to lay his head. So why would spiritual leaders look to become rich off of God's free gift of eternal life? They shouldn't. But at the same time, whenever we see the Apostle Paul writing about two churches and thanking them for providing for him, that enables the pastor to do the work of ministry, to be able to spend time searching and digging into the Word of God. And as Alistair Begg says, how dare us neglect the Word of God whenever we have a church family who's providing for us so that we can do that during the week? This qualification is a high calling. It's a high calling. This is not an exhaustive list. A whole lot more could be said that we should not add to the Word of God in the context here. But then it moves into his home, verses 4 and 5. He must manage his own household well. 
with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? These verses are saying that what the man that you see on Sunday morning the man that you see behind a pulpit, the man that you see speaking from the authority of God's word should be the same at home as he is at the church. He should be. We should, we just like you are not a Christian on Sunday or Wednesday or whatever time you meet and when you go home, you're still a Christian, the pastor doesn't get to turn it off. You have to take it home with you. You can't flip a switch and take time off. Your calling is doesn't work from eight to five or nine to five or whatever the case may be. But the key phrase in verse number four is he must manage his household well with all dignity, with all dignity. When a spiritual leader is at home, his actions should cause his children to respect his authority. In the New Testament, it says that fathers should not provoke their children to anger. But then it says keeping his children submissive. But that same word submissive is the same word that was used in the previous chapter when it talked about modesty. How are those connected? It means that we're keeping our children submissive by living a life that's above reproach. The pulpit and the home are connected. This is not a license to harshly discipline children or keep them in line, but it is a license to live as a leader at home in the example of Jesus, who in Philippians chapter 2 humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. So the way that we live at home should impact the character that we have been called to. The previous qualifications of a spiritual leader in the church impact the way that he leads at home. So these qualifications point to a depth of godliness. These qualifications should be a singular marker upon the person who is teaching the word, upon the person who is the pastor or elder of a church. And finally, in verse 6 and 7, I want you to see The last point in the text today is that a pastor must have awareness. A pastor must have awareness. Verses 6 and 7, he must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil." The challenges that the overseer or pastor faces are difficult to work through. It's difficult because we have to be honest with ourselves. It's difficult because we have to live to a high expectation, but we have to be self-aware. As I've mentioned before, I've seen a lot of people fall from ministry. It was a challenge that I had to work through. And my prayer for your pastor is that he would not fall from grace. That he would be faithful to both the preaching of the word and to living out the character and the example of Jesus Christ. We have to have a self awareness. When Paul talks about not being puffed up, there's a sense that a leader should be aware of his own attitude. Look, I'm going to be honest with you. There's times where things go well and you start to think, I did something. Whenever it doesn't matter how organized or how polished a message is, if the Spirit of God doesn't show up and move in the lives of people, what we do does not matter. It doesn't. And we have to be reminded of that continually, not to a point of being self-deprecating or thinking that we're just we're, we're never going to be able to make a difference or do anything, but to understand that we are servants of the Most High God, that life is about Him, that the Bible is about Jesus, that it's not about us. And we have to be continually reminded of that. 
Romans 12.3 says that we deceive ourselves when we think too much of ourselves, and this deception can lead into pride. And pride comes before the fall, so we have to protect ourselves from pride. In verse number 7, it says that the pastor should be aware of how he is thought of by outsiders. How he's thought of by outsiders. Now, this doesn't mean comparing the size of your house or what kind of pickup truck you have, okay? It means how, when people look at me, do they see Jesus? When people look at me, do they know that I am pointing other people towards him? Am I marked by grace and mercy? When people see me, do they understand that I'm here for them, that I'm here to minister to them, that I'm here for my community? We have to be thought of well by outsiders for the sake of the gospel, not for the sake of ourselves. Because too often we like to look around and compare ourselves to how much stuff that we have, and that doesn't have anything to do with the Bible, have anything to do with our walk with Jesus Christ. What it means is that we treat people well. Look, a few, several years ago at this point, uh, my wife and I were heading over to uh, see her parents, and we stopped at a Starbucks in Gulfport, Mississippi, right off of the exit there, and uh, we're ordering our drinks, and then just this big commotion happened down the, down the coffee bar. And I looked over, and this was a guy that, that mentored me in ministry a few years ago. He didn't see us. You know, he didn't know that we were there. It's funny how that happens. That may be an act of grace in and of itself. But look, y'all, he was over there, and he was letting this poor girl that was making his coffee have it. He was insulting the way she made the drink, how long it took her to do that. Y'all, the place is busy. There's people everywhere. It's covered up. And he just is letting this poor, probably college girl, have it. And my thought was he went and sat down, and then somebody walked in from his church and sat down and had a meeting with him. And I was going, oh, my Lord, what if they knew what just happened? Now, look, we don't hold grudges. We are people of grace. But there's also times where we do things where people don't forget. That just kind of sticks out in their mind, okay? Look, I'm guilty of that, too. I have bad days. I don't know what was going on in his life. I don't know if he just got chewed out outside. But I know that that influenced the way that I look at him. So we have to be careful about our attitude and our actions because it can hurt our witness in the way that we can share the gospel with people around us. We have to be very careful of that. The pastor is aware of how outsiders view his character because it influences the opportunities that we have for the gospel. And finally, the pastor should be aware of the enemy. Two times in these verses, the enemy is mentioned of falling into the trap or the snare of the enemy. It is no secret that these are spiritual qualifications. And it is no secret that the role of a pastor is spiritual in nature. So we should expect there to be some kind of spiritual attack on what God is doing in his community. Which means, pastor, that's why we dig into the scripture. That's why we spend time in prayer. Because the weapons of our warfare are mighty. And when we look around and we're discouraged, we have to be reminded that God is in control that life is about him, not about us, that there are times where we have to guard our heart because out of it flows everything in our life. In these verses today, there's been 17 different qualifications. That's a marker of the pastor. And this is a single picture of what the role of a pastor is in the church. Now, you may be sitting here going, look, okay, that's great. What in the world does that have to do with me? I didn't know that when I was growing up in the church. 
I didn't know what a role of a pastor was. I didn't know when somebody was being out of line. I didn't know when I would hear people get up and share their opinions that had nothing to do with the Word of God and then make the Word of God fit their opinion, okay? It's important that we know that. Teenagers, it's important that you know the Scripture so that you can judge truth for yourself. It's important that we don't just take the words of a person, but we take the words of our Savior. It's important that we know what this role is. And it's a high calling. It's a difficult calling. And our job as people under the leadership of your pastor is to encourage him along the way because the road is difficult. And that takes all of us together because we are a community of believers who are seeking to elevate the name of Jesus Christ. Again, nobody's perfect outside of the Lord Jesus. Perfection is not called for. As tough as those qualifications are, I believe they're a marker of this man who's sitting down here on the front row today. And that's an encouraging thing for us. In Acts chapter 20, the Apostle Paul is speaking to the Ephesian elders who Timothy is ministering with, and he gives a charge. He says, but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If I only may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. And I know that when I depart, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. And now I commend you to God and to the word of grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among those who are sanctified. Those are some of the challenges, but that is also the calling of the pastor to shepherd the church. So as we conclude our time together, I would plead with you, if you have not put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, to do that today to repent of your sin, confess Jesus as Lord, and make him the Lord of your life. But I want to end a little bit differently today in light of this passage. I'm going to ask Nathan to to come on up and ask him to start to play. And as that happens, Pastor Josh, if you'd come stand down here, I think it would be appropriate for us to lay hands on him. So any deacons who are in the room or men, if I'd like to invite you to come lay hands on Pastor Josh and to pray for him, I'm going to voice a prayer, but I'd ask for you to pray for him because this is a high calling. This is a difficult calling. Church, I want to ask you to be praying for your pastor, not just today or tomorrow, but make that a habit to be pleading for your pastor as he leads the church. Lord, we come before you this morning first thanking you for the scriptures that are inspired and fallible and useful for us today. Lord, we thank you for Pastor Josh and his leadership in the church. God, I thank you that you brought him to us. God, I thank you for his sense of calling to the noble work of ministry. 
And I thank you for the encouragement and the wisdom that he shares with me and with the church. God, I thank you that he is a man of character who I believe is above reproach. And Lord, we pray this morning that he would continue to live in a sober-minded, self-controlled way. That he would be hospitable to people for the sake of the gospel. God, I pray that you would give him wisdom beyond his years and the way that he leads the church and with his temperament. So God, we pray for him as he leads his household, Lord, for Tama and Katie and Kylie as they're under his leadership. God, we pray that you would protect him from the ways of the world and that he would experience endurance in the ministry because it is a weighty service, not only to the church, but to you. I pray that he would understand the significance of the calling that's on his life and that he would see your works all around him. Lord, we know that even through our own works, there's not anything that we can do of eternal significance, but it's when you show up and that your hand is upon us that we see incredible things. So God, we pray that your hand would be on Pastor Josh as he leads this local expression of your church, that he would have a laser focus on the gospel that makes a way for us to be reconciled to you. Lord, we thank you for the cross of Jesus Christ, for the shedding of his blood. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast from The Point Church. If you would like more information about our church, or if you have any questions, you can find us online at tothepoint.church.